Before I touch the topic of Ashtavakra Gita and we go deeper into this journey together, I'd like to say that together means you'll need to listen to what I have to say completely rather than having any preconceived notions. You'll have to listen keeping these preconceived notions aside. These notions may be that someone thinks that I don't even understand things like this. It's not for me. What is this? This is a notion. Someone else might think I already understand these things. I've heard enough people talk about this. I've read enough. Both of them are stuck with these preconceived notions. It is about seeing things as they are, sitting comfortably with an open mind and listening. Listening too can mean seeing. Because if you listen carefully, leaving all distractions aside, you'll be able to see what I can see. You can then judge if what you see is the truth for you and me or if it may be for me but not for you. Am I speaking with a motive or maybe a hidden agenda or my own preconceived notions? Or am I speaking about reality? You'll be able to identify that very easily. Is it a subjective point of view? Or can the point I'm making be verified time and again by anybody and everybody? Gradually, all of your doubts will come to an end. Not temporarily, but permanently. All internal conflicts will go down to zero and psychological suffering will cease to exist. What needs to be done on the physical level will continue as it is. That has got nothing to do with this. Now we come to the point of how you're going to listen or how you should listen because we don't really understand how to listen. You'll only be able to listen when you can truly understand the importance of listening to this. Whatever we deem important, we pay attention to. What we deem unnecessary, our attention wanders off. Where's everyone's attention? It's where they think the most important things are. People, material things, money, whatever it is. So what is the importance of this? What problem are we trying to solve? Why go through Ashtavakra Gita? We all basically encounter two types of problems. The first is subjective problems at a superficial level, which you may have but I don't, or I may have but you don't, which means one person may have that problem but another may not. But there are a few problems that we may term as fundamental problems at a deeper level, which every person has, be it the poorest of the poor or the richest of the rich, be it India, the US, UK, literally anywhere. There won't be a single person who doesn't suffer from these problems. These are the problems that we need to find a solution to. In fact, all the questions that you ask are from your own standpoint. As in, I have this problem or I am suffering from this or that. But we never ask if I truly am or not. Who am I? If you think of yourself as another person or entity, then the whole exercise is pointless. Whatever you are questioning or thinking, if I in the first place is misplaced, let's say you think that I am a shirt then whatever you ask thinking you really are a shirt indeed is wrong. A shirt is being born. A shirt dies. Different people are associated with the shirt. This happened to the shirt or that happened to the shirt, whatever it may be. There may be unlimited problems. 
But we never ask ourselves, am I really a shirt or not? Because the whole world thinks they're a shirt, so even I assume that I'm a shirt and question things on the basis of me being a shirt. In that case, you're even listening to me thinking that you're a shirt. How will you understand anything then? So don't assume anything. Listen with an open mind. What are these fundamental problems that everyone faces then? There is a sense of lack that exists in all of us, a sense of loneliness, a sense of being incomplete, a sense of being limited, a sense of fear, fear of death. So these fundamental problems can be resolved only and only through self-inquiry. There is no other way. Let's say if you said that my problem is that I'm restless. Is restlessness the problem that only one person is facing? Or is it something that the entire humanity faces? So, there are two types of scriptures. One will tell you how you can escape from this restlessness for some time. Meaning, do this and you'll have peace of mind for a little while. Do this, then this will happen. Or do that, then that will happen. Practice what is written in these scriptures. Follow it. Control your desires. Control your anger. Control your greed. Control your attachments and expectations. Then one day will come when you are truly enlightened. What is the other way? Whatever is the truth, however it may be, whether you understand it or not, things are being declared. That is what the Ashtavakra Gita is. Now you need to rise to the occasion. You need to leave your notions aside. Whatever preconceived notions or ideas or thoughts you may have, you need to leave them aside and see things as they are. Just keep listening. What will happen is that the truth will then be revealed to us. This urge that we have to seek happiness, is this for one person or does everyone have it? Everyone has it. The search for happiness comes to an end by knowing the truth because I am happiness. I don't have to seek it. The search for the truth comes to an end in understanding that I am the truth. All this running around that the mind is doing is what we call restlessness. The mind seems like it isn't stationary for even a second. Why does that happen? It happens because I feel that I need to be somewhere else. I need to reach somewhere. I need to do something. I need to be something. Everyone is trying to do things to end this restlessness in them, to forget about this restlessness in them. The fact that they are trying to do this is essentially the problem. The moment I understand that I am absolutely complete, all the restlessness vanishes. What is the root cause of all problems? It is that we never question why we keep running around chasing something or the other. Everyone's doing it, so we do it too. Everyone's going in different directions though. They're not all going the same way. Someone wants this, the other that, another wants something totally different. We idealize one of these directions and start following it. When we do finally reach the destination, there's nothing actually there. Then we see someone else or get attracted to something else and start running in that direction. 
and when we finally reach, there's nothing there either. So, what's the solution to all of this? Stay where you are. Be who you are. You don't need to do anything. The problem you're facing is that you think that you have to reach somewhere. For example, you may think that I have to attain enlightenment. Now, what is enlightenment? Everyone's definition of enlightenment is going to be different. Everyone has some preconceived notions that if I can get this, then I'll be enlightened. Or, I'll be enlightened when I see the light. Let's say you do see the light. Is it the end of restlessness? So, how do we get rid of this restlessness? There's someone who's telling you that you don't need to do anything. Just take a step back, relax and listen to what I have to say. If you deeply understand that you don't need to go anywhere, you're already there. Do you need thought then? This is called the state of thoughtlessness. People haven't been able to understand this. They think thoughtlessness means either a state of intense concentration or a deep sleep. You don't need this. You have to wake up sometime, right? You will break the concentration at some point, right? Is that a solution? When does the problem exist? When you're asleep or when you're in a state of intense concentration or when you're wide awake? It's when you're awake. So the solution needs to be sought at that state. We get restless the moment we are awake. Why does this happen? It happens because we feel we need to do something. Action or karma is something that needs to be understood, but not in theory. Leave behind all those theories that you've read about. Try to understand what action actually is, what thought means. You need thought. You need physical action. You need a lot of other things if you want to go from one place to the other. You need time, resources too. You will need to struggle. So the struggle, the thoughts, the action temporarily comes to an end when you reach wherever you want to reach. But that's only for a short while. Whether that is in the material world or the spiritual world. But then again, because of your old pattern of thinking, new thoughts start developing in your mind and the struggle begins again. This is a never-ending process. This is a cycle. It's a never-ending cycle. If I'm feeling bad, I might find happiness in eating something. Now that I've had this, the thought temporarily comes to an end. When the action has been completed, the thought ceases to exist. When it is taken care of, we feel relaxed. Then the urge rises again and the cycle begins again. This is what's happening. Action and reaction. Action and reaction. Cause and effect. Cause and effect. What happens because of this is that we tire out. A person gets exhausted and frustrated. This is one way. The other way is that you don't need to move at all. Moving in the sense that thoughts like I want to be someone or I want to do something or I want something. You don't need such thoughts because you're already what you need to be. Just sit back, 
relax and understand who you actually are. Once you've completely understood yourself, the work has already been done. Now there's no need of the knowledge or words that helped you to see the truth. So all the baggage of words cease to exist. Once you reach from one place to the other, is the thought of reaching that place required anymore? No. That thought comes to an end. But what happens there is that another desire manifests that I need to go somewhere because the sense of incompleteness still exists. However, once you understand that I don't need to reach anywhere, I don't need to change who I am, the sense of incompleteness ceases to exist. Not just temporarily, but permanently. Let's now start with Ashtavakra Gita. There are many stories related to this that I won't go into now, about who Ashtavakra was, who King Janak was, but the most important thing that needs to be understood is that King Janak is not a specific person because every ruler of that kingdom was called Janak. So you can look at Janak as somebody who wants to know the truth and Ashtavakra as somebody who knows the truth. King Janak asks Ashtavakra, Dear Lord, how do I gain self-knowledge? How will I attain salvation? How is abstinence attained? Please answer my questions. These questions are the essence of all Vedas and Upanishads. The beauty of Ashtavakra Gita is, it bypasses all the systems for realizing the self. It's not a methodology to teach you to become something or to do something. It's absolutely direct. A direct question is asked to which a direct answer is given. The point at which Ashtavakra Gita starts is the end of spirituality. This is the end. How do I gain self-knowledge? How will I attain salvation? How is abstinence attained? Each of these things has to be understood deeply because the problem is that each of these words has a predefined image in our mind. You might think that salvation means that I would have attained complete peace of mind and would be sitting at a fixed place all day meditating. Somebody else might think that with salvation some energy will erupt from within and things will follow and I'll be one, whatever it is. When I experience this, then is when I'll attain salvation. Salvation is something which only superhumans can attain and it's not for me. I'm too naive for this. I don't understand all this stuff. I can't attain salvation. There are a lot of preconceived notions about salvation in our mind. And the word salvation is such that whenever you hear it, it feels as if something has to be done to attain it. This is the limitation of words. Salvation means there is a bondage. Therefore, you need to break free. If there is no bondage, then what is it that you want salvation from? But what is true salvation? It will become clearer as we move ahead. The understanding of the fact that there is absolutely no bondage of any kind is salvation. 
Here, we're talking about the solution to gain self-knowledge. When is the word solution or upai used? Upai means the means to do something. Like we say, we need to solve this. What is the solution to this? What's the way out of this? Why do we need a road? To reach the destination. So, upai or solution is connected to upay. Upay means the ultimate goal. So, the upai or solution is self-knowledge and upay is salvation. The goal is salvation and the solution to this is abstinence. What does abstinence mean? Whatever you have thought, understood, known until now, you put a question mark on them and leave them aside. You neither need to accept them as correct nor tag them as incorrect. Put a question mark and now sit back and listen. That is abstinence. Otherwise, how will self-knowledge be gained? How will you understand such a deep topic? If you hold on to your existing beliefs and keep them within you, that is what the bondage is. So just put a question mark on them and stop right there. You don't need to analyze your beliefs. Just put a question mark. It might be correct. It may be wrong. Leave it. Now you're neutral. Now neither are you here nor are you there. You're neither saying that whatever you've heard, listened, understood until today is incorrect nor are you claiming them to be correct. Let me find out. Let me see things as they are. This is abstinence. That is when you are ready to listen. So what is Ashtavakraji's answer here? If you want salvation, then leave the sense objects as if they are poison and embrace forgiveness, simplicity, kindness, contentment and truth like an elixir. Now he has said this, but how many people have truly understood it? Everyone is in a hurry. They all get lost. Millions of people get lost after reading this. Why? Because people have a habit of listening to stories. Even a straightforward case is woven into a story right away. So, what was the story in this case? If you want salvation, then leave the sense objects as if they are poison. What does the term sense objects mean here? We have five senses. There are five corresponding sensing objects. All the impressions related to them within our mind, which is known as memory, all of these are sense objects. And all the sense objects are equivalent to poison. Leave them. So what did people make out of this? As soon as they heard these lines, since they are habitual to stories, they instantly made up a story in their mind. Leave everything. Leave everything. Leave everything. What happened to such people? They left everything but got nothing in return. And they think that they've left everything. What did they leave? Everything is one of the sense objects. In that case, leave eating too. Stop drinking water. Stop seeing. Stop smelling. Forsake the sensation of feeling hot or cold too. If you think there's a way to leave these things, go ahead, leave them. People left society. 
they left their families, their innocent kids too. Why should they be abandoned? What was their mistake? Who will look after them? Leave everything, leave everything, leave everything. Who is the person leaving everything? Why aren't they seeing him? They didn't leave him. The person who left everything wasn't abandoned. That person is me. Me is still very much a part of them. And they're talking about leaving things outside of themselves. These people are the ones who are lost. This has to be understood deeply, without any hurry, step by step, calmly and peacefully. What does it mean? If you want salvation, then leave the sense objects as if they are poison. What does this line mean? So there's a medicine, a sense object. It's not poison. If you're ill, is there something wrong in taking medication? Is there a problem with the medicine? No. So, leave the sense objects as if they are poison means the poison needs to be kept or consumed at its own rightful place. You need neither more nor less. Just like if you're ill and you leave medication, you'll die. If you die, how will you gain self-knowledge? Who will gain self-knowledge? If you needed only a small amount of medicine but instead overdosed, you'll still die. So more or less of something are extremes. These extremes need to be given up. Eating too much or not having anything at all, this needs to be given up. If you drink excess water, that is wrong. And if you don't drink, that too is wrong. In one word, moderation is what you need. Everything has to be done within limits. If you're able to do things within limits, then there is no better monk or saint than you. This is the biggest form of self-discipline. So, the person who is doing things within limits, he'll be peaceful. Now he's ready to listen. The one who is hungry and is listening to Ashtavakra Gita, he won't be able to listen. His focus will be on his hunger. The one who has eaten in excess, even he won't be able to listen. He'll be sleeping. But he who has eaten within his limits, neither more nor less, will have no problem at all. There is a pleasure in eating. Can we give up that pleasure? Is that pleasure bad? What's bad about it? It is good. That's the reason you're eating. If there was zero pleasure in eating, if there was pain, would we eat? We would die. So don't leave pleasure. Don't leave food. Don't leave people. Don't leave anything. Give only as much importance to things as they require. You have to move ahead in your life peacefully. We can call it the middle path. Call it a balanced life. So what did you leave? You stopped doing things in extremes. That is what leaving is. Secondly, at your level of understanding, you left this misconception that the sense objects are an end in itself. These are all upai or solution, not upaya or the end goal. This means these are the means to reach an end. This is not the end in itself. You need an object at every point, so you can't leave the object.
You felt hungry. You picked up a knife. You chopped up some vegetables. What is all this? What is a knife? It's an object. You caught hold of the object, held the vegetable, chopped it, cooked it. You are also thinking about it. What spices and how much of the spices you're going to use. So, you didn't even leave the thoughts. When you look at it, you'll even salivate. Because if you like the taste and if your upbringing has been such, then you don't even leave that feeling. You didn't leave anything. Food is prepared. You're having it. You're eating within limits, neither in excess nor less. What was the outcome of all of this? You gained good health. Now you've got to use that good health to know the truth and to understand the truth. This whole world is confused between means and ends. Means have been thought of as ends. Money is a means, not an end. It's useful. Money is not the problem. You're thinking of money as an end goal. That is the problem. Or you're thinking that the end goal is whatever you want to buy with that money. That is the problem. I need money. Why do I need it? So that I lead a comfortable life. Why is a comfortable life needed? So as to understand in a peaceful state of mind who I am and what is the root of my struggle. So if I sum this up, one is moderation and the other is being absolutely clear about the means and the end. If we understand this, then our attachments will automatically cease to exist. This is known as abstinence. You won't need to be detached from this or that, like fuel in a vehicle. If we understand that whatever there is in this world is similar to the fuel in a vehicle, I am on a journey, journey for understanding the self. For this purpose, whatever there is, is all similar to the fuel required by a vehicle to run. So I'm not attached to the fuel. I'm focused on the journey. This is called abstinence. I'll just sum up everything we discussed yesterday quickly. Then we'll move ahead. King Janak asked a few questions from Ashtavakra. These were, How do I gain self-knowledge? What is the solution to that? How will I attain liberation? There is a hint of honesty in these questions. How will I attain liberation? Meaning, he can understand that his mind is restless. There is fear within him. There are problems which he's facing and he doesn't have answers to them. Then how is abstinence attained? It is important to understand abstinence correctly because Ashtavakraji's answer to this was If you want salvation, then leave the sense objects as if they are poison. But what did people do? They left their occupation, left their people, left everything. But what is being talked about here is something from within, at the level of mind and not something from outside. So what should be done? Whatever you do, connect it to self-knowledge. All the ancient scriptures like the Vedas and the Upanishads 
are talking only about the self. So, if you are connecting everything to the self, then you are on the right track. So leave all the sense objects at the level of your understanding and start doing everything in moderation and embrace forgiveness, simplicity, kindness, contentment and truth like an elixir. Now the problem is, when we listen, read or try to understand something, we take it literally. We think that since this is how it's written in the book, so I must do it the exact same way. This is a trait of foolish people. For example, forgiveness means to forgive. But whom to forgive? If a person commits a crime, will you forgive them? If you forgive one person like this, then everyone will become criminals. The entire society will turn into criminals. So where to act and where not to is to be understood correctly. Where do we need to forgive? From within. Externally, we need to punish him. We do the exact opposite of this. To project ourselves as a good person, although we think negatively about the other person from within, but from outside, we're smiling. From within, we're envious of the other. But from outside, we project ourselves to be their well-wisher. So, forgiveness actually means to be entirely free from hatred. No hard feelings for anyone. No discontent with anyone. Whatever his nature is, he is doing. Whatever my nature is, I am doing. Whatever he does, which can be dangerous for everyone or can turn into a greater problem going ahead, then I'll have to take action. So, I have to be very strong from outside. But from within, I have to be like wax, completely melted, no grudges of any kind. Just think about it. What will you get by holding grudges in your heart? So, it's for your own benefit because if you don't forgive, you'll keep thinking about others and you'll never be able to think about yourself. If you don't forgive, how will you listen? I'm saying, but how will you listen? How will you read what is written? How will it go within you? You're always thinking about your enemy. Once you let it go, only then can you think about yourself. Many unfortunate things have happened to everyone. Leave that. There's nothing fruitful in that. Be simple and straightforward. Never complicate things in your mind. See things as they are. We create a lot of complications within our mind and get stuck in it. Although we get angry, but we say that I'm not angry. Anger isn't my nature. I'm very spiritual. Anger shouldn't come near me. What are you doing? You're complicating things. You're angry. It's fine. Just accept it. But how can he be angry? Why? Is he different from others? Is his body different from others? If you put a hot burning iron rod on his hand, will he not burn? If he falls from the sky, won't he come down? If something happens in front of him which he doesn't like, won't he be angry? Of course he'll be. So, when you look at this perspective 
everything gets simplified and you're not unnecessarily complicating things. Anger is there. This isn't only a trait in humans, it's in animals too. If you attack an animal's baby, it'll be angry. Their heartbeat will increase. They will retaliate and attack you too. Which is but natural. What is wrong with that? So this is what making things simple is. There is no complication in this. Anger is also my part. Whatever weaknesses are there in my body or mind, they're my part. If they're there, it's okay. So you're now simple. Otherwise, you're always struggling. There is violence within me, but it shouldn't be there. Keep struggling. More violence will be created within you because of this idea of non-violence. So rather than struggling or fighting with violence, just look at the root cause of the violence and it will disappear on its own accord. Be simple and straightforward. Don't pretend. Forgiveness, simplicity, kindness. What is kindness? If required, you're hitting someone from outside, but from within, your heart is full of compassion. So even if violence is happening outside, you're kind within. You're looking at yourself in the other person. It's like putting yourself in the shoes of another. This is what kindness is. Now comes contentment. It is the greatest wealth on the path to self-realization. If you're satisfied with what is, you are at ease. You are peaceful. The biggest problem with this world is, what is, is not wanted by anyone. Everyone is running behind what is not. What is, is less. So whatever is, however it is, good or bad in this world, you're completely satisfied internally. Externally, you're trying to find solutions to various problems. But internally, you have understood that a problem can never be completely solved. Because the solution is part of the problem. Solution is not different from the problem. All solutions are based upon knowledge and understanding. And knowledge and understanding by its very nature is limited. It's perceived from a particular standpoint. Not by taking the whole into account. It may appear to be right from a particular standpoint, but completely wrong from the other. So, internally, you're contended with everyone and everything. Whatever is happening doesn't matter. It's a part of life. Whether it's right or wrong, it's still part of life. Embrace contentment and truth as an elixir. Now, what is truth? What we feel or think is the truth? Or what actually is, is the truth? There is a huge difference between these two. I think or feel that this is the truth. But what is the truth? So, whatever is being thought or felt, that's all a standpoint. What is is the truth. I feel that I'm a good person. But what's the truth? According to the definition of good and bad, 
I have a few good traits and many bad traits too. So what's the truth? That I'm good as well as bad. This is the truth. What I feel is that I'm a very good person. The entire world says that I'm a good person. You're living a lie. What truth is has to be seen as it is. That is the truth. Whatever is has to be seen without any bias. Now Ashtavakraji is telling Janakji, What are you? Why is he telling that? Because he thinks of himself as someone else. That's why it's necessary to tell. Why is Janakji asking? Because he isn't sure about who he is. So what he thinks of himself, Ashtavakraji denies each of that one by one. You're neither this nor that. Neither are you earth, nor water, nor fire, nor wind, and neither space. For liberation, look at yourself as the conscious essence or the conscious witness of all of these. You are neither earth. Is our body not made from earth? So what does this imply? You are not body, not water. This body is made of water. Again, you are not body, because the final identification comes back to the body. This is bondage. We are calling ourselves a body. This is the problem. If we call ourselves nature, then there's no problem. Then whatever is part of nature, it is me. Why not call ourselves nature? We call ourselves this body. So what is he telling one by one? You are neither earth, water, fire, wind or space. Everything is ruled out. What's left? Nothing. What is outside this? If there's any object, it has to be in space. He has ruled out the space itself. For liberation, look at yourself as the conscious essence or the conscious witness. What do we mean by conscious essence? Conscious essence means the intrinsic nature of the self. Basically, there are two different standpoints to look at the self. One is Adhyarop Drishti or the superimposed standpoint and the other is Swarup Drishti or the essence standpoint. One is what we are thinking about something and the other is what it actually is. For example, there is a clay piggy bank. We call it a piggy bank. But where is the actual piggy bank? Touch it. The moment you touch it, you'll find clay instead of a piggy bank. So actually, it is clay. But we are calling it a piggy bank. Calling it a piggy bank is not a problem. But understanding it as a piggy bank is a problem. Just for namesake or for transaction purpose, we're calling it a piggy bank. What's the problem? The form of clay is called piggy bank. But the essence is clay. Similarly, conscious essence means the essence of earth, water, fire, wind 
and space, the essence of everything. So the essence of everything is you, the conscious witness. You may call that as consciousness, awareness or life. Consciousness isn't only in the living beings, it's within everything. It's the very essence of earth, water, fire, wind and space too. There's nothing in this creation within which there is no life, if you look at it in the most subtle way, that is consciousness, that is life. There is life in everything. In some places, life manifests because of certain conditions and in others, it doesn't. Where it happens, we call them living. Where it doesn't, we call them non-living. So look at the self as the ever-present witness of everything. What does witness mean? Witnessing doesn't merely mean observation. Witness is the one who is just there. He doesn't do anything. He's just there. Like whatever is happening in this room. Who is the witness here? The space. Room is created. Destroyed. Chairs are present. Gone. We broke the chair. Repaired it. Whatever it is. How is space affected by all this? So what is space? A witness. Space has been here before the building was built. It's still there. And it will always be there. So, what is space in this context? A witness. You opened your eyes. You could see space. You closed your eyes. You couldn't see space anymore. I know all of this. So, what doesn't vanish, either when space is visible or when space is not visible, that is witness. In other words, the one who doesn't stop seeing. That is the conscious witness. Space is visible. The witness knows. On closing the eyes, space isn't visible. The witness knows. He was in a dream. He's seeing. There's no dream. He's seeing. He's in deep sleep. He's seeing. Nothing is being viewed in deep sleep. Then nothing is being recorded. There are no memories. But when he came out of deep sleep, he's still seeing. He also knows that he's seeing something now. He also knows that he saw a dream. He also knows that there was a time in between when nothing was visible. So, he, on whom there's no effect of things happening or not happening, he is the ever-present conscious witness, the one who is completely detached. Consciousness is always untouched. So who is affected by happiness and sorrow? The mind, not conscious witness, not life, because it doesn't matter to life if it is within a seed or in a sprout or if someone ate that sprout and now it is within a body. Now when the sprout leaves the body, 
it again dissolves with the soil and now it is in the earth. Life isn't affected. Today, this creation is there. It won't be there tomorrow. Today, this plant is here. Tomorrow, it won't be. All of this will be gone, destroyed. But the material out of which it is made, it can't be destroyed. Because if that got destroyed, then there wouldn't be anything. If there wouldn't be any material of this creation, then there wouldn't be this creation. How can something come out of nothing? It's impossible. There has to be something. So things get created and destroyed at a superficial level. But the material doesn't get destroyed. Now if this material is separate from me, how does it affect me? What will I do with all this knowledge in the Ashtavakra Gita? It's all pointless and worthless. But if that material is me, not God, not someone else, me, that changes everything. When we understand this, what happens? Then the limitation of mind breaks up. Right now, your thoughts are limited just to your body, and everything related to the body. But the moment your thoughts shift from the body to the material cause of this body, material cause of this universe, material cause of your consciousness, then your thoughts break up. Now there is no space for thoughts. There is no need for thoughts. Thoughts can be used to work on material things. But all limitations related to the self ceases to exist. What is being told here is not that the conscious essence is someone else and you should consider him or her as God. If that was said, then there's nothing interesting in this. It's kind of boring. There's God. Okay, so now what do I do with God? You do good. He'll put you in heaven. You do bad, he'll put you in hell. This is not being said. Neither are you earth, water, fire, wind or space. For liberation, you look at yourself as the conscious essence or conscious witness of all of these. It means that the essence of everything is you. The most important point to understand here is you yourself, not the God, not others, not the world. You have to look at yourself as the conscious witness of everything, meaning you are untouched by whatever is going on in this universe. This understanding liberates you from all kinds of suffering at the level of your thoughts. We need to understand each and every word very, very deeply. Ashtavakraji says that you aren't earth, water, fire, wind or space. So, if you aren't ready to listen, what you will say is, 
King Janak was ready. He was worthy of this. So, whatever Ashtavakraji is saying, it's for King Janak, not for me. But if you're truly ready, then you'll understand that Ashtavakraji isn't saying these things to King Janak. He is talking to you. Then you will imbibe all of this and it will work for you. What is he saying? You are neither earth, water, fire, wind or space. For liberation, you need to think of yourself as the conscious being that witnesses all of these. The conscious being that witnesses. The essence of everything. The source of everything. The material cause of everything. That is you. Understand the word witness? What does witness mean? Let's say there is a case in court where someone has murdered someone and someone has been murdered. So, who is the witness? The one who has been murdered or the one who has murdered? Is the witness he who has killed or he who was killed or perhaps he who has supported the killer? If the witness has killed, then he's a criminal. How is he a witness? So, the witness is he who has seen all of it at the scene of the crime and remained unaffected by all of this. He who is untouched by the doer and the one who suffered by whatever was done. Neither is the witness here nor there. He is standing apart. Meaning, there were thoughts in our mind and when those thoughts came, we also saw this world. When there are no thoughts in our mind, what happens then? Nothing, right? Yes. If I want to see something, I am not seeing it outside of me. I am seeing it inside my brain. You can say that my brain is like a screen and something is visible on it. It can be any sensation. It could be visual, auditory, anything. So, if the brain is like a screen, at times you see something and at times you don't. So whatever came and whatever went by with those thoughts, that isn't a witness. A thought came and we were happy or sad because of it. We acted on thought or didn't. Who is facing all of this? He who is attached to that thought. Until when? Until he's latched on to that thought. Then maybe another thought when something else happens. A new reaction will start happening. So, am I that entity who is thinking about it or am I that who knows both the presence and absence of thoughts? You are that. This is being said here. And this isn't being said to King Janak. This is being told to you. So, you're untouched by a thought which appeared and can be turned into an action. And whatever you're thinking because of that thought, you can call a reaction. Reaction to that thought. This is a process of action and reaction. So, who is the witness? The one who is detached from this action and reaction. He doesn't have to be. He is detached. Just look at it step by step. Something happened in front of you. Something which is already fed into your body and mind that this shouldn't happen. 
there is a close relative of yours who dies. Now, because of that, there are sensations in the entire body. There are tears rolling down your cheeks. You're screaming and shouting in pain. You're feeling miserable. Whatever this is which is happening, the one who is aware of all of this, he is the witness. He is untouched by all of this. That witness is you. So, what's the problem? Is it that there are some emotions in your mind? No, the problem isn't even this. Because if you love someone, you will get attached to them. Be it your parents, kids, husband or wife, anyone. The problem isn't this. The problem is that you are telling yourself that I am the one who is attached to that thought. That is me. That's the problem. In reality, I'm not attached at all. Neither am I attached to the action nor the reaction. I'm just an ever-present witness. The proof of this is that even if you're in the worst of situations in your life, you can come out of it immediately. If that situation would have happened to you, then who would come out? So, that which is there in all the three states, when you were sleeping, when you were dreaming, and also right now when you are awake, is the conscious witness. When action happens, even then he sees and knows. When there's no action, then where's the question of a reaction? When there's no sensation, no thought, then how will there be a reaction? To be sad, you need to think of something, isn't it? Be sad without knowing about something, can you? Try to be sad about such a person whom you don't even know, can you? One who you can't even picture. What happens next? Neither is there a thought nor any reaction to it. So what happens? Peace, tranquility, silence. There is nothing to know. Now people who don't understand it deeply, what do they do? They try to achieve this state. A state where there's no action or reaction. But it's impossible to attain. Until there's body and mind, there will be action and reaction. There will be thoughts and consequent reactions. But true knowledge is, whatever happens, it doesn't actually affect me. That is liberation. Otherwise, you are always trying to become that which is impossible to become. That is someone who faces a problem but doesn't get affected by it. It's not possible. The essence of self-knowledge is that there will be problems and you'll be sad too. What is sadness? A sensation which you don't like. For example, if a hot object touches your body, your skin will burn. Similarly, if something bad happens to you, you will be sad. When does action-reaction happen? You saw something. A thought popped up. Now you linked it to your memory. Even saying that you linked it is wrong because you're a witness. You don't link. You don't do anything. It happens on its own. It connects automatically. The moment you saw me, my name popped up in your head. You didn't have to do anything. 
It just happened. The moment my name came to you, you closed your eyes and my image popped up in your mind. You're not forcing it. It's happening on its own. Thoughts are forming on their own. But you're a witness. You aren't doing anything. All of this is happening on its own accord. Now Ashtavakraji says, If you separate your body and calmly be present in your unbound conscious self, then you'll be immediately happy, peaceful and unshackled. Ashtavakraji is telling this to you, not to King Janak. Separate your body. Not meaning separate it by killing it, but at the level of your understanding. What you strongly believe is that I am this body. For a while, leave that thought and just be. Be what you actually are. If you are that, then immediately you'll be happy, peaceful and unshackled. It's a big statement because he's not saying that you have to do this or that. Then you'll be happy and peaceful. Right now, meaning what I actually am needs to be at the right place. Our eye is at the wrong place. This is what keeps the thoughts alive. If you're indifferent, what is happening? Let it happen. How long will it happen? It'll stop happening. If two kids are fighting with each other and you take one side, the fight will escalate. They'll fight even more. Be indifferent. They'll become friends. Be calm. Be silent. But what does silent or shant mean? Sha comes from saha. Saha means to be one with. Anth means the end. So, to be silent means to be one with the end. This is the ultimate goal of life. As ironic as it may sound, if you're one with death, you're alive. Otherwise, you're dead. This, what people call life, is actually death. Whatever impressions and memories are present in our mind, you think according to these. You act according to these. People call that action life, which is happening through memory. But we have the wrong impression that we are doing these things. Whatever you're thinking of, let's say about your future. That I'll do this or I'll do that. Doing this will result in this or that. These people are now with me. Tomorrow they might not be. He or she did something good or bad to me. Whatever it is. Whatever you are thinking, whatever you're doing. Everything put together. What are these based upon? Memory. What is memory? Is memory alive or dead? It's dead, right? So, are we living with the dead? The person we're fighting with, we're not fighting with that person. We're fighting with the thoughts or beliefs we have about him or her. We have a problem with that. No one is looking at the person. What is, no one is interested in. Either we want to change it or we want to own it based upon our past conditioning. We are identified with the past. We are living in the past. Our future is based upon the past. We are looking at the present with the eyes of the past. And the past is dead. So we are living with the dead. We are dead. We think that we're alive. But how does it matter? Even a robot can think that. 
A robot acts. A robot speaks. A robot can do everything which a person can. What can't a robot do? A robot can record and act on the basis of that recording, but it can't feel. A voice can be fed into it, based on which it can speak at the press of a button. If there are some triggers, then it can react based upon these triggers. But it can't listen. Where there's a sensation in our brain, we feel it. But if we don't feel, let's say something happened and we reacted immediately. Then what's the difference between us and the robot? Something happened, a reaction occurred. Action, reaction. Action, reaction. Keep running the same cycle. That's what a robot does. What you call this moment or the present, is it really the present? You're looking at a star in the sky and say that I'm looking at a star in the sky. Are you actually looking at it? It's possible that it is a hundred light years away from you. So eons ago it was there. Now you don't know. But it's possible that it died billions of years ago. So what are you looking at? Something that's not there. What voice are you listening to? That which was there a few seconds ago, microseconds ago, but it's no more. You're acting on the basis of that. You're recording that. You're thinking only about that. So what's really alive? Think about it. Is something which is still or not moving alive? Or something which is not still or constantly moving alive? In your mind, what is still or not moving? Some old memories which are frozen, the way they were 20 years ago, they're the same today. In this creation, nothing is still. Can this creation ever stop? Can this flow ever stop? Can anything in this creation stop? Can creation and dissolution ever stop? Can they be different? At which moment will you say, was it created or destroyed? Everything is happening together. Clouds are forming and being destroyed. You can't say that clouds are forming but not being destroyed. It's happening together. Happening at each moment. Not with a gap of even a second. Everything in this creation is being born and is dying. What is our mistake here? We're not looking at this truth. The body to which we're attached, it is constantly changing. What does change mean if it's not death? It is being born as well as dying at the same time. But we're not looking at this truth because we are identified with the body. That's why we're entangled in our thoughts. If we muster up the courage and see this truth that life and death aren't different but one, then you can live. Otherwise, you live in fear. Life and death can't be different from one another. There is no way to separate them. Where there's life, death is there too. At the time there's life, there's death too. If you look closely, you'll be able to see it. From far, you'll find something still. When you go near, nothing is still. Everything is moving. So what does Shant or silent mean? To be one with the end. Because the end is not just the end, but also the beginning. Can they be different from one another? There's a movie playing on a screen. When that movie finishes, then what is the end of the movie? You can only see the screen. 
Wasn't that same screen present before the movie started? Was the screen present when the movie was on? Isn't that screen the end of that movie? It doesn't matter how long the movie is. Three hours, three hundred years, three thousand years or three billion years. If the end of the movie is not that screen, then what is? So, if we're one with the screen, then we're effortlessly peaceful. Because the screen by its very nature is peaceful. Now, there's only one way to be one with the screen. And that is to be the screen. To be who you actually are. Only then you're one with death even while you're alive. And he who's one with death is alive. He who can watch this game of life and death without fear, only he can live this life. Only he can see the truth of life and be happy. Everyone else is frightened. The other side of life is death. People will be frightened of it. But it's just a game for him. He's born. He dies. Look closely what happens. When was the form created or destroyed? The moment you saw a form in a river, at that point it's already gone. You can't see something alive. You can be alive. We are alive. You can see that. When you're watching the dead, then what's there to fear? Whatever you're seeing or thinking, all of that is dead. What is the point of fearing it? Why be sad because of it? Who is alive? The one who sees. But whatever he sees, be it with his eyes, his ears or whatever he thinks, he can't ever see something alive. That's what this creation is. To see, there has to be a distance, some space. Whatever you're looking at, that information has to travel through the medium which requires time. So, by the time you see it, it'll be dead. Even if you see it with a microscope, be as near as you can. But that space still exists, isn't it? So, he who's alive can see this game. The game of life and death. Whether you've understood this or not, it doesn't matter. You are the conscious essence or the conscious witness. Even if you want, you can't die. There's no way to kill you. You can kill a pot. But how will you kill the clay? That clay which knows the existence and non-existence of the pot. So, that clay is dead and also alive. Where is the pot? It's not there. It's an imagination of the person seeing it. It's only in the mind. Imagination means this entire creation which is actually one indivisible whole. We think that it's separate from me. This is imagination. There's no room for being separated. Thought creates separation in the mind. If there's no thought, there's no duality. You're one with the end. This is known as peace, meaning that which is one with both life and death. What is dead? Whatever you can think, that is all dead. Why fear the dead? Let the dead walk behind you. Who is alive? I am. The one who is alive. Only he can look at the dead. To see the dead, I've to be alive, isn't it? So, what you actually are, there's no way to kill it. And what you're not, there's no way to save it. 
but your entire life is spent on saving what you're not. For example, you say, I'm a big person. Who became a big person? Can infinite be bigger? A person who says, I'm a big man, he's very small. What is he in front of this creation? The fact that he's saying this isn't the problem. The fact that he's even thinking of it is the problem. That is called foolishness. That which is the source of this entire creation. What can be bigger than that? Ashtavakraji says, Neither are you Brahman, meaning, neither are you a saint. There were categories of people in earlier days, different categorizations. Now you can categorize according to today's times. Today, there are rich and poor, Hindus and Muslims. Definitions have changed, but you can fit something else in this place. Neither are you Brahmachari or bachelor, nor are you from any ashram. So, who are you? You are detached, not attached to anyone. And if you're not attached, you are not bound. The one who is attached is bound. When there's no bondage, then who will be liberated? You don't have to be detached by doing this or that. You are detached. Whatever is being said here, you can connect it with the sound of silence. That is what is being talked about. The conscious witness. The one who sees your existence and non-existence. What you call I, what is it? It's only a thought. It's just a sensation. What else is I? If there's a thought, then I am, else I'm not. So the one who sees your existence and non-existence is the ever-present conscious witness, the self. You're detached. Just look back and see if you're detached or not. Look within and see. You're formless, meaning there's no shape to you. The one who has a form can be killed. Form can be killed. How can formless be killed? There's no way to save a form and there's no way to kill the formless. Ashtavakraji says, You're the world's witness. It means that you're the only conscious witness to this world. In this entire universe, wherever, whoever is looking at something, wherever, whoever is thinking about something, wherever, whoever is doing something, Wherever, whoever is listening to something, smelling something, touching something, feeling something, it's all happening because of the conscious witness. And who's that witness? It's you. Not only in this body, which is like an instrument, but in every instrument. Instruments are created and destroyed. If the conditions are favorable, an instrument is created which we call a body. If the conditions are changed, the instrument gets damaged or destroyed. For example, there's a bulb. Just crack it open. Does electricity die? Does light die? What has died? Nothing is dead. Electricity was never attached to the bulb. If it was attached, then something would have happened. It can't get attached. If one of the bulbs stops working, electricity is still passing through the other bulbs as usual. You're the world's witness, not a witness, the witness. That is you.
That's why be happy and at ease. What is Ashtavakraji telling you? That you are detached. You don't need to be this or that. So, be happy and at ease.